So before we jump in, I want to just share a story with you guys. And as we read the rest of the letter, I want you to be filtering that letter through this story's lens. A couple weeks ago, I was meeting with some guys in a pastoral care situation. And one of the people in their group had come to them having confessed to his wife and then confessed to them saying, hey guys, I had an affair. I'm having an affair. And I want to work on my marriage with my wife here pursuing Christ. And I want to keep having that affair. And the guys just looked at me and said, we don't know what to do here. What do we say? What do we do? And really what they were asking, guys, in other words, were, are we going to tolerate sin in our midst? Are we going to watch as someone brazenly rebels against Christ's commands? Or are we going to speak into it? So guys, that's where we're going to be going uh, as we talk about the church in Thyatira today. We're going to look at this letter through the same four-part process that we've done each of the other weeks. We're going to be talking about Christ and how he's portrayed. We're going to be talking about commendation, where the church is being commended or praised. We're going to be talking about correction, the things that Christ wants to refine and purify from this church. And finally, we're going to be talking about confidence that we have because he's written the end of the book. And so before we read the passage together, just a quick look at the city of Thyatira. It was a commerce city, guys, not a metropolis. And what that means is it's more like Frisco today than it is like Dallas. Dallas would be like Ephesus or Corinth, huge cities. That wasn't Thyatira. It's like Frisco. It's wealthy and influential, but small by comparison. And it was run by guilds of merchants who um, owned the land. And in order to sell anything in the city, you had to belong to one of those guilds. And those guilds had practices. This was a pagan society, guys. In order to be a member of a guild, you had to participate in idolatry and in many cases, sexual immorality, ritual prostitution. And so that's the city. And in fact, it was known for a couple things. We know one of those if we've read together Acts, which we studied uh, months ago. We've met someone from Thyatira, Lydia. She was in Philippi as Paul was traveling through the city. She was one of the founders of that church, and she sold purple dye. Dye merchants were one of those guilds. Uh, and the other one of those guilds that's widely known were the metalsmiths. They had some of the first minted coins in Asia Minor. And that was cool. So throughout the city, they had forges everywhere. And the reason why that's relevant, you may be asking, Mike, why do we care? And that's because something that we need to remember, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. And what I mean by that, the, the letter to the church in Thyatira was not written to 2020 Watermark Plano or Watermark Frisco or Watermark Dallas or Watermark Rockwell. That wasn't written to us. That's not who it's addressed to. But it is written for us. There's truths that we can glean from this text that doesn't change. And so it was written to them for a particular reason. And we need to keep that in mind with the imagery that Christ is showing as he's connecting with their hearts in a personal basis as he writes to these people. So guys, we're going to start 
with that first section, Christ, in verse 18. And to read just that portion again. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Remember what we just talked about, where the Bible is written for us, but not to us, to those people. And remember what was present in their city. Metal workers, metalsmiths were a substantial portion of their population. And so those images, flame of fire, burnished bronze, would have been something that anybody in that city would have known and recognized. They've walked around the forges. They've heard the heated, they've heard uh, the hammering of the steel. They've seen the smelting fire. They've watched as people have taken something already there, burned it down to nothing, skimmed out the impurity, and made something new and good with it. That's the imagery that we're being presented with in the letter to the church in Thyatira. So eyes with flames of fire. Yeah, for me, in my 2020 Western American context, you know what I see in that? I see my wife's look that she gives me when I've strayed out of bounds for what she considers right. You know, that it burns without you having to see it and it's genetically encoded in them because my daughter's given it to me as well. That's what I see. And there may be some truth in that, but there's a lot of different things that God can show us in imagery for judgment. And if he's laser focused on the hearts of his followers, he's using this imagery for a reason. Fire is often purification. That burning down that I talked about, that melting down, skimming off the dross, getting rid of that impurity so that they can make something right and good with it. That's what I think we're seeing here with this particular imagery as Christ is connecting the hearts of his people. Okay, He wants to make something good of the situation, something useful, and so he's going to commend them. As we see in the next uh, verse, in verse 19, Christ commends, Christ praises his people in Thyatira. And to read it right quick, it says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Guys, what a list. Honestly, I would love for that list to be said of me, to be said of us here at Watermark, or if you're at another church and you're listening in, great. I would love for that list to be said of your church as well, that you're showing love, that you're acting in faith, that you're serving others, and you're doing so patiently and with endurance. Way to go, Christ is saying to Thyatira. You're doing these things well, and you're only getting better. While you started good, you're getting even better than you were before. So in light of the current situation around COVID-19, Guys, around the launch of Plano as an independent church, how are we doing? Are we being marked by love? In Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, it says, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the entire law and the prophets. That, guys, is saying, do these two things, and you're summing up the whole Bible. So how are we doing showing love? How are we doing serving others when other people are reacting in fear and isolating and drawing back? 
What are you doing that's responsible and wise? Are you doing more or less right now? Is a question I think we just need to ask ourselves. For my family, what we've done is we wrote out a letter to all of our neighbors. And what we said in it was, we are happy and would love to be a source of provision for you during this time. We have plenty, we wanna give. Do you have need? Do you need someone to run to the grocery store for you? Text us, call us. Do you need someone to grab medicine for you? Text us, call us. Do you need toilet paper? Yes, it's real. Text us, call us. Let us love on you during this time. Guys, in your group, whether it's your community group, your summit group, your local church body, how are you guys doing? Loving on others during this uncertain time where their faith, their lives may be shaken. So in the midst of the crazy, guys, we need to love others well. But love, as we're about to see, as Christ corrects his people, love isn't tolerance of sin. Love doesn't say, you keep doing what you're doing because it doesn't affect me. I'm not going to speak into it. Okay, nowhere in the Bible do we see that being the instruction that we're given. Instead, the most loving thing that we can do is often speak into, run into that situation, inform people of their sin, and call them to repentance. And that's what Christ is doing as he corrects the church in Thyatira. So let's read on. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I give to each of you according to your works. Guys, in many ways, Thyatira was the opposite of Ephesus. We learned about Ephesus a couple weeks ago, that they were very discerning, discerning on what was being taught, but they lost the love that they first had. Thyatira is the opposite. Guys, they're loving well, but they're not discerning the uh, doctrine that they're digesting. And that's what's led to this correction. So I see a ton of parallels between society today, the church today, and Thyatira. We want to be loving, and so we're not, so we don't judge. We want to be loving, and so we don't lean in when we see a brother or sister sinning. When they're having that side affair and want to continue in it, while still pursuing her, their wife. We want to be loving, and so we're not going to um, speak hard truth to people for fear of burning bridges. Christ has a very clear message to his people. Don't think that you're healthy just because you're loving. In fact, he's got two main things that he's calling the people in Thyatira to do. It's repent and repent now. So when we think about what's being written, there's two primary peoples or groups that Christ is addressing in this letter. It's Jezebel and it's the church. For Jezebel, she's practicing sexual immorality. 
She is not only practicing sexual immorality, she's telling other people that it's okay and good and right to do as well. And the Bible has very stern verses on both of those. To read from 1 Corinthians 5.11, it says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, meaning anyone who calls himself a believer, if he is guilty of sexual immorality. So that's saying don't have anything to do with the people who are doing that, whether it's um, continu continuing in their pornography addiction, whether it's continuing in the affair that they're having, where they realize that it's a sin, but they say, no, this is good for me. I'm going to keep doing it. Don't have anything to do with those people. And a little bit later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Guys, and that's just the sexual immorality verses, and there's others as well, but when it comes to false teaching, I'd encourage you guys to go and read from 2 Peter chapter 2, the, the entire chapter, where Peter is lumping in, false teachers, lumping in them with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's saying there's going to come punishment for people who don't rightly handle the word of truth, who lead people astray, saying it's right and good that you do those things. The Bible is abundantly clear that sexual immorality, false teaching aren't to be tolerated, which is why there's another uh, person or another group of people who are addressed in this letter. It's the church, not just Jezebel. Jezebel's talked about, but the church too, because the church is tolerating these sins in their midst. And guys, ingesting bad doctrine is going to lead to bad practices. God's desire is that we live in the light. And so I want to ask you guys some questions. I want you to put yourself in the shoes first of Jezebel, as uncomfortable as that might be. And then I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the church. As Jezebel, what are some of the sins in your life that you know aren't right or good that you could chapter and verse and say, yeah, that's against what God's word says? What are those things in your life that you're saying, I'm good, I'm going to keep doing me? Do you have them? Your call is pretty clear what you need to do if, if that's you. Repent. Turn away from the sin you're committing and follow hard after Christ in the company of other believers. Okay, that's 2 Timothy 2.22. Okay, what are some of those sins that you need to confess and repent from? What are some of those temptations that you're not running from? I encourage you guys, as you're talking around your tables later on today, whether that's in person or virtually, raise your hand and say, hey, here's mine. For me, guys, for years. That was information management. And that's a churchy way of saying I lied. Not just a little. I lied a lot. I told people what they wanted to hear so they would have a good uh, improper understanding of who I was. I, I wanted them to like me. And so I told them exactly what I wanted them to hear until one of my good and faithful friends in 2016 
say, confess that sin you thought you'd take to the grave, and Christ broke me, tore down my walls of pride, and gave me the opportunity to repent and confess. And guys, it was the best decision I've made. To the opportunity to walk in the light as he's in the light, to not have to worry about what was shared with who. Guys, there's freedom. And I would love to call you and invite you into that too. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're in a spot where you're confessing regularly to your spouse, if you have one, to your community group, if you have one, to your friends or your family. Maybe that's you. You're doing good on the confession part, on the repenting, running from sin and running towards Christ. Way to go and be encouraged, guys. So where are you then like the church in Thyatira, where it's not you necessarily committing the sin, but you're tolerating sin in your midst? The Bible's abundantly clear on that topic too, guys. Just to go to two verses, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling towards slaughter. If you say we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay every man according to his own work? Part of that verse should be familiar. We quoted it earlier when we were reading uh, the letter to the church in Thyatira. Um, but we'll read from another passage too, Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. I'll pause it there. Guys, rescue, hold back, go. None of these are when it's convenient or when you feel like it or when you're comfortable with doing so. Those are commands that are clear and consistent across all situations at all times. Go and hold back your brother who's stumbling towards death. Go and point out their sin just between the two of you. And guys, often that can just be a blind spot where they might not know where they're erring. And the loving thing to do is to come alongside them. Hey, here's a pattern that I've seen. You may be unaware that you're even doing it. Can, can I just bring this to you? And do so winsomely and lovingly. And if they listen to you, the verse goes on, you've won them over. But if they don't listen, Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just continuing that Matthew 18 process where you can say, hey, I might be wrong here. And in case I am wrong, would you mind grabbing someone that you trust who's well-versed in what this book says to come and listen in as we have our conversation? Because I might very well be in the air. And would you mind if I do that as well, that I bring one other person along? And more often than not, guys, they're going to say, yeah, I'd love to invite someone in because they often think they're right. And then the process continues from there. If they still don't listen, if it is sin, if it's something that you can chapter and verse like sexual immorality, like false teaching, where you can turn to um, First or Second Corinthians, where you can turn to Second Peter, where you can turn to and say, the Bible's clear. Let me turn it around and have you read it so that your words can, uh, you can read it out loud, reading God's word to you, okay? That, that's when you continue that process and you say, all right, hey, um, we've all agreed. Let's take it to the church. 
And that doesn't mean we're going to stand up on a Sunday morning and talk about your sin. But what it does mean at that point, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. That goes all the way back to what Christ was calling the people in Thyatira to do. So guys, just to uh, close up Christ's correction to Thyatira, just to kind of summarize it well, false doctrine and sin are never to be allowed, even under the banner of love or toleration or unity. There may be a lot that's commendable in a church. We saw that as he's committing their faith, their love, their works, their patient uh, bearing with one another. It may appear on the surface like everything's okay. But if there's immorality and false doctrine, that will bring judgment from the Lord to the church. So where does the church then go to rest its confidence in? If this is true, if we've been doing this, um, and we've taken the opportunity to repent. We've got the log out of our own eye and have brought uh, a blind spot to our neighbor. Where's our confidence then come from to do that well? And that's the end of the story. Uh, for the guys who I met with uh, earlier, a couple weeks ago, who had said, this is a person in our group who has that affair, wants to continue that and reconcile with his wife, we presented him with the same options that Christ was given to the church in Thyatira. Hey, they can repent and turn from their ways or we're going to cast them out. And that, that was what uh, the options were presented. And guys, I'm, I'm happy to say that that husband repented from the affair. He turned and ran from that, ran right uh, to his community group and, uh, and said, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Help me as I run hard after Christ. So guys, that's great. And that's a great ending to the story for them. Um, the letter to the church in Thyatira ends with confidence. Let me read verses 25 through 29 to you guys now. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as with earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Guys, we've gone right back to that metalworking analogy. The rod of iron is one of the symbols throughout the Bible for ruling over others. And if you're familiar at all with Psalm 2, that's where it's introduced in the Bible. It's a coronation psalm. King Jesus is coming back, and he's going to smash the other nations with their false doctrine, with their pagan idolatry. He's going to smash them to pieces, and he's going to rule over all of us for forever. And what he's saying to the church in Thyatira, you get to do it too. You, overcomer, you get to rule with me. You're going to be part of the smashing. You're going to be part of the ruling, not just now, but for forever. Guys, that's the end of the story. It's not COVID-19. The end of the story is God's coming back, ruling, and we rule with him. And so, guys, I just want to ask if we're going to have that rod of iron shattering the nations alongside Jesus with their false doctrine, their false teaching, sexual immorality, and more, 
why not get to work now? Smashing those areas of our life, those sin strongholds. And say, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. God, will you show me a better way? Can I run and follow hard after you? And so a couple of and so a couple practical takeaways that we can glean from this church, guys. Just a couple things to leave you with. Love others in word and in deed. That was commendable of the, of the Thyatirans. You should be doing this as well now. You have confidence in what the future holds, and so act out of that confidence now. Ask God to search and know you to reveal to you the areas of sin in your life that are, you're holding on to as strongholds and saying, no, you can't have anything to do with this, God. Ask him to reveal those to you. And then do what it talks about in James and in 1 John. Confess those, confess those to others. Ask them to pray for you so that you might be healed. And repent, guys. Do what God gave Jezebel and the church at Thyatira time to do. Do it now. Do it today. Don't put it off. Today is your day. <laughs>